The Invictus Mind, Episode 17. Hello, this is Mike Corbell. Each and every person is a sovereign individual, born with a spark of divinity, with unique and unlimited potential. But every one of us will face unique challenges, obstacles, or roadblocks. There are systems in this world that may be built against our own best interests. Governments use force to coerce and compel us. Sometimes we build systems in our very own head. In each episode, we will look at these systems, these roadblocks, the things that prevent us from reaching our true potential. We will discuss how to break free and regain our sovereignty, how we can become the master of our fate and the captain of our soul. Well, it's been three weeks since the world has ended. The coronavirus has wiped out everyone, and it's only me and whoever's out there just listening to me. Just kidding. Hi, this is Mike Corbell, and not to make light of a very serious situation, the world does actually move forward. My condolences go out to whomever might actually be sick, but I assume most people have just stayed inside and taken care of their families and hopefully spent a little of this downtime learning and developing new skills. In my experience, both professionally and with this podcast, I have been privileged to meet and talk with some of the great people out there, the kind of person that are out there making all the difference. And although I love talking to brilliant philosophers, politically minded people, and influencers, it's regular average Americans who are taking care of their families, the small business owners that are out there that excite me the most. These are people who don't often get notoriety, who aren't always famous, but demonstrate important and valuable mindsets that should be recognized. They're the ones making all the difference. Hi, my guest today is a husband, a father, a musician, and a business owner. He runs the Boomer Music Company in Colorado. His belief in being adaptable, having resilience, and constant learning has led him to have a mindset of winners win. Here with me today to share why I believe he has an Invictus mind is Drew Holmes. doing today, Drew? Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Mike, under the circumstances. These are, uh, as I said, uh, interesting times that we're living in, and uh, I think adaptability is as important now as it ever has been. Absolutely. So have they shut down most of the state where you're from because of the coronavirus? Not really. Um, people are kind of uh, you know, quarantining in place and stuff like that. The county I'm in only has uh, one confirmed case. Um, and so it seems to be under control, but we're all just kind of you know, playing wait and see, and 
trying to figure out what the world looks like and what our role is in it. Right on. I think a lot of people are un, uh, are scared and unknown, and they're getting mixed messages from the news and everything. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it, well, certainly as a business owner, it's hard to know what to do. Um, I mean, we're lucky that we have uh, recurring billing. We rent instruments out, and so um, people pay a monthly fee, and it's a rent to own and that sort of thing. So uh, we make money even if we're not open, but it's not as much as we would normally. And so now the question is, you know, what do we do with the stuff that is physical that does have to have customer contact? And so um, yeah, we're wondering if the retail side of the store has to close, then you know, we want to keep our repair shop open, for example. Then how do we get people their instruments? You know, are, are people even going to demand the product? I mean, that's the, the challenges that we're facing right now. I mean, public performances have been canceled. School's been canceled. Um, you know, we're dealing with um, you know, what, what is the demand going to look like for this? Because, I mean, we're a demand-driven business. And uh, without the customers, you know, we don't have a business. And I mean, that's true of any business, of course, um, but it's you know, particularly challenging having a physical location and a physical product as the uh, primary means by which uh, we do business. Yeah, I understand. Uh, you know, I, the reason why I invite you to come on the show is because for the last several months that we've been connected, I, I've seen a lot of your inspiring posts and comments. And we know that as a business owner, we need to think differently than most people. Well, I'll just call them employees. Sure. Right, the employee mindset is uh, has to be different than a business owner's mindset, uh, because employees just think about that next paycheck. Where well, you need to think about where's your source of revenue coming from. Yeah, exactly, and that's um, you know part of the plans that we're putting in place with the uh, current crisis. It's you know I've got Plan A, which is business as usual, um, but I've scaled back you know hours and things like that, trying to lessen the pain for the employees. But then it's, you know, what happens if no one comes and then what happens if we're not uh, allowed to be here or at least we're told to uh, you know, stay in place. And it's, it's a matter of just you know, overcoming the current uh, situation. So are you getting a lot of concerned employees uh, where you're at? Uh, are you having to answer their questions? Uh, is the answer just I don't know or how's that going? Not as much as I thought I would get. Everyone's being pretty understanding and they, they know their role. Um, you know, we normally, uh, you know, for example, sanitize things and try to uh, be as clean and hygienic as possible. Um, but in terms of, you know, if we need to alter hours, uh, you know, reduce them. You know, I've had people volunteer to uh, take the hit personally if it means that we can keep everyone else around. So it's it's been a pretty good team that we've put together, and uh, everyone's been uh, understanding that you know it's it's a big picture situation here, and I'm just trying to keep a uh, you know as many of them whole as possible for as long as possible until we can figure out what's going on right on i understand so I, i've spoken to a couple people uh such as yourself that i met in another networking group and uh, i'm just gonna say who it is and wh what it's all about but uh, we connected under jason stapleton's network yes so uh we were first on the winner's chat list i, I was speaking to vincent ferrari in one of my other episodes as well as chad kirkham and we called it the secret club. And I, think, <laughs> I think it turned out to be a, a pretty good resource to connect business owners uh, across the country. What has been your take so far about it? Oh, it, it's a great network. I mean, locally, um, it, you don't find as many you know, people that uh, think in the same way of you know, self-empowerment and how to be able to do more and learn more and, and frankly, just become the person that you're trying to be. And uh, you know, it's been... 
encouraging and inspiring to find you know people out there who are pursuing these things who are really you know trying to maximize what they do and what they can do and then of course uh you know improve the people around them and the world around them as a result so you've been a business owner you're running a music store in colorado how long have you uh owned that store for uh, 12 years now. So yeah, if you, you want to talk about crisis. So uh, yeah, bought the store um, in 2008 uh, with my business partner. We can talk more about him. Uh, and um, then in 2010, we moved the store to a, a location uh, that's four times bigger because we were growing. So if you remember what was happening between 2008 and 2011, that was a very odd time to you know take over an existing business and try to grow it. But we managed to do it. Yeah, during the, the recession, the last recession we had, there was a lot of people who were hurting, but uh, a lot of smart people actually started a business because I think times are never times are never too good and times are never too bad to start a business, but uh, you were able to actually overcome the economic crisis we had at that time and, and, and build your own business, huh? Yeah, and, and to grow it some, I mean, it's uh, you know, music is an interesting business. Um, the barriers to entry are really, really high. And the problem with growth that we have is uh, the more we grow, the more expensive it is to run. So we have to, you know, acquire, you know, instruments specifically and pay for them, you know, now, but then we rent them out and get paid over length of time. So the recurring income that we're getting now was actually set up, you know, three, four years ago, and we're reaping the benefits of that. So it's, it's, you have to take a long-term view of this stuff. Uh, you know, just, I, I call it a relationship business as opposed to a transactional business. Uh, we're trying to get people that come in here, you know, for their first instrument and then 20 years later come in with their kid for theirs, you know. I mean, you, you try, I worked for a store uh, back on Long Island that um, had been around at that time 40 years. And people would come in and say, wow, you know, I got my instrument here when I was in school and now I'm bringing my kid. I mean, you can't buy that kind of loyalty. You can only earn it. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your background, Drew. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you were in Long you look, you were in Long Island, excuse me, and uh, now you're in Colorado. What uh, what brought you out west? Oh, so I grew up in Massachusetts and then uh, went to school in New Jersey um, because, of course, you know Boston's not much of a college town. Um, yes, tongue firmly in cheek when I say that. Um, but my uh, uh, I was uh, dating a girl then um, who. Uh, I, we had to declare a major and a minor, and I had too many credits, so I had to declare, and I, you know, I asked her, I said, well, what are you minoring in? And she said, arts administration. And so I found out a little bit more about that, and uh, it's basically like a, a business focus, uh, but for, the, for nonprofits. And so part of completing that degree was to do field work, so you have to go out and get an internship, something like that. Well, my then roommate lived outside of Philadelphia. And uh, he said, well, if you get something working for the Philadelphia Orchestra, you can come live with me for the summer. So I applied in there, and that's how I got in the orchestra library world, uh, working under uh, Clint Neewig, the uh, venerable, uh, retired, now principal librarian of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And so learned how to do that. Then when I graduated, well, in the middle, I did another internship with the Boston Symphony out at Tanglewood, just working information desk, that sort of thing. Then when I graduated, I needed a job, so Clint found the money for me to work part-time in Philly. In the meantime, uh, a position doing library work opened up in Brooklyn. Neither was full-time, so I was living outside of Trenton, commuting an hour each way into Philadelphia, two hours each way into Brooklyn. I don't recommend ever doing that. 
and uh, then a job opened up in uh, Naples, Florida uh, with their Philharmonic Orchestra, uh, principal librarian for that, and I ended up landing that job at age 22, which is unheard of in that world. I uh, did that for a couple of years, moved back up north um, for you know, my then girlfriend who had just graduated college, uh, later on wife, now ex-wife, um, and uh, got work with a um, sheet music distributor. And so that was a company that uh, would sell sheet music to um, you know, major orchestras in, all around the world, as well as conductors and people like that. So that's kind of where I started to learn the business side of everything. I'd already learned the music side of it and the sheet music side of it, uh, doing all the other stuff. And then she got into grad school out on Long Island to get her doctorate in chemistry. So we packed up, moved out to Long Island, and then um, that's when I uh, started working at the music store and learned how to do all the other stuff that I know how to do. And then, I, mean, I know this story gets very convoluted, um, her uh, father was a, is a businessman in this area out in Colorado, that's where she's from originally, and he said, hey, you know, Boomer Music's for sale, how would you like to go in on it and, uh, and you know, have your own store? So he and I became business partners and purchased the store which uh, that you know, has worked out great, but the, uh, obviously the uh, hitch in all of that, as I alluded to, was that he and yeah, his daughter and I got divorced. So it's been interesting managing that relationship, but you know, fundamentally he and I are friends and we respect each other um, as people and as business persons. And I've learned so much from him. I mean, I'm, I'm years ahead of where I could possibly be doing this all on my own. Um, so that's kind of the short version of the long story of how the heck I ended up out in Colorado. Well, that's interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's nice that you were able to cultivate and, uh, and, and keep a relationship even through a divorce. I know that can be tough for many people. Well, it, it's anyone that hasn't been through it, I wouldn't ever, ever wish it on anyone. I mean, it's just the most damaging thing you can go through. I mean, everything in your world is, uh, up for grabs is in question every you know, and it goes beyond, you know, just possessions and all that stuff. It's every relationship that you've ever had. And it's hard to know where you stand. And, you know, it it's just, you behave in irrational ways. And so, I mean, he was so supportive through the whole thing. And, um, you know, we're, we're making it work. I mean, it's, it's a good relationship, a good business relationship. And I'm just amazed that I have this opportunity. Great. Now you mentioned that you were uh, you were a musician, and then you learned the insides of the business. Uh, you were a trumpet player, right? Yes. Yeah, I grew up playing trumpet, and that's kind of what started the whole thing. And then, um, you know, obviously, I was playing in bands and orchestras and things like that all along. Uh, actually, my bachelor's degree is in music. Um, you know, I was meant to uh, to change my major uh, to something else and never got around to it. So that's <laughs> ended up with a degree in that. Um, but that's, that's kind of the ticket that's allowed me to be on this side of everything and to you know, learn all about you know, the performance side of music, be able to relate to the customers. And you know, so they know that you know, I'm for real, that I understand what they're going through and I understand what it is that I'm doing and selling and talking about. That's excellent. I was actually a trombone player. I, uh, I started playing trombone when I was in fourth grade and I played all the way through high school. After high school, I, I decided to get into rock music, so I, uh, I left trombone <laughs> and started playing bass guitar. Hey, you know, bass players, uh, they, they get the most work out of any of them. Everyone needs a good bass player. Exactly. I, I, I saw one of your posts that you were talking about uh, when you were selling a tuba to somebody, and it blew my mind because I know how expensive instruments can be. 
But uh, when you were actually uh, talking about a tuba, it was like a ten thousand or twelve thousand dollar instrument. That, that was incredible to me. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, not all of that's profit, but that one, um, yeah, that that post I remember, uh, I put that in the context of uh, leverage, um, because the representative from the manufacturer had come around with me back in November, visiting schools on my weekly route, where I go out and. Uh, you know, every week I go out and have contact with the teachers and see what their needs are and all that. And so he had struck up a relationship with that director um, talking about their new tubas. And so he brought the uh, the tuba up for the teacher to try out on his own. Uh, he fell in love with it and they ran the sale through me. So, you know, it, it turned out to be you know, about a $10,000 sale that, I mean, all I had to do was a, a couple of phone calls and a couple of emails and, and stuff like that. It, it was a Deals like that don't happen every day, but man, when they do happen, it's a good feeling. Right. Well, so my daughter is learning how to play piano right now, and uh, she's in fourth grade, going to be in fifth grade. We're, we're thinking about which instrument she wants to play. And uh, my wife actually uh, is a former violin player. And I was just talking to her a little bit about musical instruments, and uh, she doesn't play a Stradivarius, which is the most expensive violin out there. <laughs> but that's right. not something I want to shell out for my daughter anyway. Well, and, you know, I'll put on my business hat, um, depending on uh, where you're at and how big she is, for example, and how serious she is about it, you probably want to rent an instrument anyway, because the string instruments can be sized to the player. So if you get one that's too big or too small, it's going to inhibit the learning. And so that's where I say, you know, partner with your uh, your local music store and get the, uh, the information that they have on that, because, uh, you know, they'll make sure that she has a good experience. Great. Now, are you still playing? Uh, are you in an orchestra yourself, or are you just focusing on business mainly right now? <laughs> I'm focusing more on uh, the uh, four-year-old and the two-year-old that are at home. Uh, so, yeah, I, I discovered, you know, I was playing in a big band, and uh, you know, we rehearsed every two weeks, and I realized that the trumpet wasn't leaving my car in between rehearsals, so I had to back off on that while uh, I could still, you know, show my face around those people. But I'll get back into it in a couple of years when the boys are a little more uh, independent. Well, that is the nice thing about actually having a business because then you can hire managers, you can hire salespeople, and you can spend the time the way you want it to allocate it, not just to only making an income, but uh, to your family and everything else. Oh, and that's exactly it. I mean, that's that's the whole point here. Uh, my wife, Jamie, she's uh, the most amazing person and is so you know, just good and supportive and taking care of the boys. And you know, I, I have to support that in every way that I can. I mean, we're a team. You know, we're a family. It, it, this is this is what we do. This is our our primary thing, and uh, you know, she's been fortunate that she has a job where she's able to work from home in uh, different hours uh, that you know that don't always correspond. I mean, the, the funny thing is, she figured that job was going to start drying up with the current crisis, but uh, she works for the National Chamber of Commerce. Um, you know, helping out member groups with information, but they've been flooded with people looking for guidance as to what to do. So she's got more work than she can handle right now. So, uh, yeah, the, the flexibility of my job being able to help support, you know, her, you know, take care of the boys and do what I can around the house um, is a huge benefit. I mean, that's a great reason to be in business for yourself. Excellent. So I want to talk a little bit about the, the mindset of being an entrepreneur. Sure. Uh, a couple of the quotes that you put in on your website, uh, there was a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. Where's the inspiration come from that? Well, that's Louis L'Amour, um, but that was uh, the quote that I put in my uh, in my uh, senior yearbook. Um, but it's 
that really comes down to, um, you know, what does all this mean? What's the next thing? Um, you know, you talk about when you have a big accomplishment, then there's kind of a depression, there's a loss, there's, you know, a, a feeling of, well, now what? And so I always try to have the next thing lined up. Um, you know, after the divorce, I kind of started getting a little more inward introspective and so I started doing um, obstacle course races like uh, Tough Mudder did a bunch of those and the thing with that was after every race that I did it felt like it, it was just a letdown it, it was a very weird feeling I hadn't experienced that before and so I think it was 2013 um, I decided I was going to do some kind of a racer event every month of the year January through December whether it was you know a 5k a go rec challenge Tough Mudder you name it and I did them and that having that plan, you know, knowing that that was where my mind was going to go and knowing that you know, I was training and working towards something more really helped, um, you know, just keep me focused and keep me moving. And so that that's kind of where the quote comes in is that, you know, every every time you think something's over, is it really over or is that just, you know, the beginning of the next thing? And that's you know, what I always try to think of, you know, what's the next thing and what's the best way to address it? Yeah, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, and uh, people will say that the business they're in is a roller coaster. And I say it's not the business that's a roller coaster; it's your mindset that's a roller coaster. Because one minute you're freaking out about something, the next minute you're calm, you have hope, you have optimism, and then something else happens, and you're on the verge of bankruptcy. And this seems like the life of an entrepreneur, at least for the first couple of years, getting started. Oh, absolutely, and that's just it. Is um, you know managing the stress. Um, it's it's a constant thing, and yeah, I don't know if it's a healthy coping mechanism, but you know I've just kind of gotten used to it. That you know, the, the way that our business is structured, uh, we you know cash wise are always running it you know pretty pretty close, and it's yeah you, you just you just have to overcome that. I mean, it's it's just it's more of a um, you know, inoculating yourself against the stress by getting used to it. Because the advantage to that, as I've discovered, as I've kind of, you know, increased my, uh, you know, uh, mental toughness, is once you overcome that, then you have the memory of overcoming it. So the next time you're faced with it, it it's more of a, oh, I got this attitude, because you know you did it. And so if you take on more and more stressful situations, each time you're faced with something, you're like, yeah, I got this. It, it, I don't want to say it becomes easier, but you become tougher and more able to cope and compensate for it. You had another quote that I found interesting. You said, play the cards that you have, not the ones that you want. Yeah, and that one, um, you know, you, you can apply it to, you know, card games directly. I mean, that was one that I thought of way back in the day. I used to play Magic the Gathering quite a bit. I'm a, I, I love games, board games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I remember you know, playing against people and, you know, I beat them, or they beat me, but then they'd be like, oh man, if I had this, this, and this in my deck, then I would have walloped you. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't. So the trick with that is, you know, yeah, you might want an optimal situation, but if you don't have it, then what are you going to do? Are you just going to, you know, fold and give up? Or are you going to, you know, use what you have to your advantage? I mean, that was when we uh, moved into the current store, we did a big renovation on it, and uh, there was a big load-bearing wall in the middle of where we wanted to put a door. And, you know, I laughed at the contractor. He's like, what are we going to do? I'm like, well, the answer is we can't do anything. But I'm like, yeah, you know, you know we may only have deuces, but at least we have a pair. You know, it's like, you know, what, what are the positives of the situation you have and how can you leverage that into something even better? And so that's kind of where that comes from is, you know, instead of wallowing in, in uh, the deficiencies, you know, let's uh, look and focus on the assets. 
Absolutely. And, and that's where I came up with the, uh, the idea of creating the Invictus Mind. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the poem Invictus, but it's really about being unconquerable. No matter what's laying before us, no matter what challenges we have, having a mindset that I'm going to get through this, I'm going to make it work because that's my ultimate desire. Even despite the fact that you know you will have obstacles, you will have things get in your way, or the cards that you're dealt, as you say. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm very familiar with that. Actually, I remember um, during that year when I was doing you know races and events and all that. I did uh, Tough Mudder in Florida, and I was sitting in the Tampa airport in November, you know, reflecting on that I had one more race to go, and I would hit, would have done that you know really ridiculous year. And that poem immediately came to mind, and so I was keeping a, a journal at the time, and I you know made a point to write it into the journal uh, because that's you know how I felt then, and frankly, that's you know kind of the attitude that I try to have every day. So I, uh, I'm going to share a secret with everybody on the podcast here. So uh, we've been tracking the, the fitness challenge that we put out on our network. <laughs> and I, and I, and I want to congratulate you because I don't know how many people started this challenge, but it was about three months ago where uh, it was a 100 push-up challenge. And I think just your resilience uh, proved to everybody that uh, it is uh, capable of doing 100 push-ups in one sitting. Well, and I'm going to give a big shout-out to Jamie again, my wife. Uh, she's not officially in the challenge. But I kind of uh, goaded her into trying to do it with me. And, um, you know, she has worked her butt off, hasn't hit 100 yet. But, you know, if we keep doing this, she will. Um, but, yeah, it, that, that is a great example of something that, you know, why did I want to do it? Because I decided to. I mean, that's the, the short answer is that's why I've done it. And the trick with it is trust the process and uh, you know, be consistent, and eventually the results come. Um, but yeah, I've been joking around that I'm you know, 14 weeks into a six-week uh, program. You know, it it just takes time, and you know the fact that it didn't happen in six weeks. Who cares? You know, after six weeks, I was significantly improved from where I was at before. And uh, it's it's a matter of you know accountability and uh, just consistency. And frankly, the group has really helped me uh, to stay on it. You know. <laughs> You know, when it's uh, Christmas Day and you're doing push-ups, you're saying, what the heck am I doing here? It's like, well, because it matters. Today matters. And each you know, workout, each session, each thing builds upon itself. I mean, that's something that I've been you know, telling uh, you know, my customers here who uh, have performances or people who do you know, you know, half marathons or 5Ks or whatever is the event isn't the accomplishment. The, the event is the celebration of the accomplishment, which is getting ready for it. So whether you're, you know, rehearsing with a group so you can perform or whether you're getting into shape to be able to do, you know, uh, to run a race, that is, that's the important part. That's the part that matters. And, you know, when you do the actual thing, just, you know, enjoy the ride and you know, see it for what it is. Yeah, thank you for that. There is just a, a lot of great wisdom and insight in, in everything you just said there. I like that. Trust the process. That's there's uh, so many people deviate from the process when they're trying to accomplish something, right? Uh, you started off by saying, "I decided to do that." Uh, a lot of people, people are indecisive, and and, and the word "decide" is uh, is like a final thing. I'm going to decide, and there's no other question about it, right? You talked about accountability, and then uh, you talked about the event is the celebration. I think those are all great things uh, towards goal setting and, and accomplishing any of that stuff. Well, and that's something that, you know, lately, um, you know, Jason's been talking about with uh, imposter syndrome and things like that. And, you know, the the way I've tried to approach that, because I mean, I feel it, we all feel it, is, you know, uh, you know, fake it till you feel it, you know, act as if. 
and um, and that's you know, why, why I say that the group really helped. You know, when people are encouraging each other, it's like, man, you know, I need to log this this workout because that's what's expected. You know, there are people who, if I don't do this, are going to you know think something's wrong. And yeah, but you've got to have the internal motivation and and to care. And so that that's kind of where I come at it from is that you know the consistency comes internally. But, you know, your why could be anything. And if people are looking to you as an example, then, frankly, you have a level of obligation to fulfill that. I mean, if, if only for yourself. So in your business, do you have an accountability program for your own business? Or do you just hold other people in your life uh, to, to help you with your accountability? How does that work? Um, well, it, that, I mean, I'm accountable, obviously, you know, in my marriage, to my family. Um, to my employees, I mean that—that's where the current stress is coming from right now. Figuring out a response to this because they've put their trust in me to be that leader and to you know have this place where they can do their work and they can make a living doing it. Now I'm not saying that you know I owe anyone a living, but I owe them my best efforts to earn that trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very important. Uh, I definitely like uh, having accountability with what I'm doing professionally, and and uh, par- being a part of a social network. You uh, you talked about people have certain expectations, and you know you feel obligated to to do what you're going to say to do. I think that that's uh, definitely part of the winning mindset there. Yeah, well, that, that's another one of the things too. Um, I've been so fortunate to have you know great mentors and great examples and things like that. You know. You know, Clint taking me in as a as an intern back in Philadelphia. He didn't have to do that, but that was, you know, that was him, you know, giving back and putting out knowledge in there. And I can never repay him for that. I mean, but what I can do is pay it forward. And frankly, that was what he did. His predecessor, uh, Jesse Tayton, who had been in Philadelphia for a long time, did the same thing for him. And so that's kind of the attitude that I try to adopt is that, you know, I owe so much to so many people that I could never possibly pay back in two lifetimes. But what I can do is help people that need my help. And I can share my information and my experience and my knowledge with them and then you know, help them on their journey. I mean, that, that's how we all grow. Yeah, that's an interesting principle about uh, uh, the mentor-mentee relationship. I think that works in almost every situation. You're not going to be able to pay your mentor back. Obviously, they've gotten to a uh, position of some kind of success, and they're helping you get there. And as long as they keep helping you, they're continuing to have success. So maybe they're looking for you to pay it forward to continue that. I think success leaves clues, and, and, and people shouldn't shy away about that. Right? I have personal mentors in my life that uh, I couldn't possibly pay for myself, but uh, one of them came up to me and said, listen, the way you pay me back is for you to succeed and for you to tell others what you did so they can also succeed. Oh, exactly. And, I mean, I, I go back to my father. I mean, I'm, I moved away from Massachusetts, you know, at age 18 and, and basically never went back. And, you know, he and I have talked about it and I've said, you know, I, I wish that I could spend more time with you, you know. I mean, now that I'm, you know, an adult, uh, at, at least, you know, the, the years I've attained to my age tell me that. Um, but to get to know him more as a friend, uh, but, you know, he's even said that. He's like, I would never want you to have missed out on the stuff you've gotten to do for me. You know, that it's it's the same kind of relationship as, you know, parent to child. You, you want your children to you know, absorb as much as they can and then go on and, and do their own thing and become what they can. 
So what other kind of mentor uh, relationships do you have? Do you follow, uh, I mean, obviously we both follow Jason Stapleton. Uh, do you have other podcasts or other mentors you listen to? Are, are you reading certain books? Uh, the same classics as always. Um, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great one to start with. Um, uh, Robert Kiyosaki um, gives great advice, I think, on the topic of context versus content. And that's something that, you know, I talk about. You you can have all the right information in the world, but if someone isn't in a position to hear it, it just doesn't matter. You know, I, I uh, refer to that as trying to, you know, explain Mozart to a ferret. You know, you, you may have the, the exact right information, but they can't absorb it or use it in any useful way. Um, so, yeah, I, I always thought that Kiyosaki and his books were great as far as that goes. Um, and he has one in his series called Sales Dogs. Blair Singer wrote that one. That one was fantastic. Um, but, you know, the usual stuff, um, you know, Freakonomics, uh, The World is Flat, Random Walk Down Wall Street. Um, I've, I've been picking away at one called Alchemy, which is all about, you know, marketing and how weird messaging can work. You know, they, they talk about, um, uh, what was that? I think Red Bull. They're like, yeah, this, this drink's going to be really expensive and it tastes awful. We're going to sell a ton of it. And they did. Or like Starbucks, you know, we're going to take a, a you know, five cent cup of coffee and sell it for five bucks. And they did. So that, that's been an interesting one as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of other podcasts, um, I uh, obviously, you know, listen to, to Jason's. Um, let's see, what were some of the other ones? Uh, the Unconventional Path is a great one. Uh, that's all about entrepreneurship and things like that. Uh, but then, you know, just the usual stuff like The Economist. Uh, they've got a great series of podcasts that I'd recommend people listen to. It gives a great perspective on what's going on in the world and uh, from a non-American standpoint. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Excellent. Thank you for that. So one of the things I've been talking with people about on my podcast is uh, this notion of, uh, of liberty and leadership. And I think that there's a, there's a lack of leadership and certainly a lack of responsibility in many places which is why uh, I think liberty is kind of going out the window because it's a two-sided coin, right? Everyone talks about rights. Everyone talks about uh, what they're entitled to, but are, are they really bucking up on their responsibility? And I think as a leader, not only as a business owner, but a leader of a family and other people, uh, responsibility is a very important thing. Oh, absolutely. You, you can't have rights without responsibility. Um, and I think that that gets lost. I mean, it's the same thing about, you know, people wanting respect without giving respect. It's a two-way street, but... Yeah, it, it, you, you go back to you know, Spider-Man. I mean, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, but you, you, this is a further insight into my mind. I make weird connections with things, and <laughs> but yeah, but that that's part of what I do. It's uh, I don't think there's anything you can't learn from. Um, you know, even if the lesson is uh, something as simple as don't do that again. Uh, but like I use the example, this was a couple months ago. Uh, my boys got, um, toys in their happy meals that were these star Wars toys that have a little hologram in them. And, you know, I looked at the hologram and I said, Oh, that's Luke Skywalker. And, you know, you know, Timmy looked at it and he says, Oh, it's a boy. And Sammy, the two year old looks at it and says, Oh, green. It's like, well, yeah, their context, that's all that they know from that. And so that's what I took that lesson away from that was, wow, they don't have the context to fully understand the information that's there. And that was just from something as simple as a McDonald's toy. The lesson we can learn from our children is amazing. Yeah. Or, or the other one, uh, and when I left uh, this morning, uh, Timmy and, uh, and Jamie were, were cooking. It's, there's this kid's cookbook that we have. And I've compared the recipes uh, to a standard, like, Better Homes and Garden cookbook. 
And the ones in the kids' cookbook are at least as difficult, if not more so. But the way that everything's presented, it's very kid-friendly. It's color pictures. It's got quotes from kids that have made it. I mean, it's marketed beautifully. So it sets your mindset to, hey, I can do this, as opposed to, oh, man, this is going to be hard. So, again, another lesson from something as simple as a cookbook. I'm going to quote you again, Drew. You mentioned that liberty <laughs> means liberty means having the ability to reap the benefits of labor for me and my family. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to the liberty movement, because I definitely am part of that, what, what, what does that mean to you? Um, that, again, goes back to rights and responsibilities. I think that the movement as I see it should uh, be focused more on you know, increasing our responsibilities to ourselves and to each other, and thereby having all the rights that come with that. Um, so that, that in a nutshell is the way that I kind of view that. But, you know, I want autonomy. I want the ability to do what I see and feel is right. And I don't want a whole lot of people who don't know, understand, or care about, you know, me and what I'm doing telling me how to do it. Jason always talks about uh, controlling the source of your income and, and, and having true freedom uh, because you're not having to answer to anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the interesting part about that is I don't know that you can ever not answer to anybody, but you're answering to different people. And so, you know, where I'm at now, instead of, you know, punching a time clock and answering to a boss who determines when I work, where I work and what I make doing it, I'm answering to the people who put their trust in me to you know, provide a place that they could do what they do. So it, it's yeah, it, similar to the way that, you know, the president should have, you know, you know, 300 million bosses, you know, that kind of thing. It's, you, you just, it, it goes in a different direction. So as opposed to having, you know, people telling me what to do, you know, downward, it's more of me trying to be conscientious of what they need upward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, Drew, uh, obviously uh, in, in times of uncertainty like now, business must persist. You know, you mentioned about uh, some of the precautions you're taking and in, in, in taking care of your employees and everything like that. Uh, forgive me, I had to chuckle a little bit because uh, the name of your company, Boomer Music Company, and <laughs> that seems like a, a word that has been thrown around in the last couple uh, months, the word boomer. So was that a name you came up with yourself or was that uh, because you bought that business from somebody else? No. No, I'm actually the third owner of the company, the original owner. Uh, she named it after the nickname of her clarinet teacher back in college. So the name's actually, the, the store's been around for over 40 years now. And so uh, she named it you know, back in 1976. Uh, so yeah, the, the name came around before uh, the word boomer was uh, even remotely a dirty word, but this too shall pass. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm uh, I'm gonna let you get going here in a minute, Drew. But uh, what's what's next sure. on the agenda for you? Are you are you creating an online presence? Are you are just are you gonna plan on just keep running your store, growing bigger? Are you opening up multiple stores? Uh, what what are some of the goals you got set out for you for the rest of this year? Um, multiple locations, probably not for a while. Um, it's physical locations cost a lot of money and they require staffing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was already planning on, and now I'm going to have to speed it up, uh, teaching myself WordPress so I can uh, build out our website. We are trying to add online rentals uh, to our repertoire. I know there are other companies in my space that do that, and uh, frankly, I like to think I'm smarter than they are, uh, although obviously I'm not because I haven't done it yet. Um, but the big thing now is is uh, kind of waiting for the opportunities to present themselves. Uh, I saw 
one of our uh, smaller competitors, uh, not in our immediate area, but nearby, has, uh, is starting to wave the white flag a little bit. And I think that uh, an economic downturn is going to take a lot of competition out of the marketplace for me. So the, the trick is to you know, defend what we've got as aggressively as possible and then be able to swoop in and meet the demands of the market. Uh, if there's no one supplying it, then you know, why not us? So that's kind of the general philosophy going forward. But yeah, the web presence definitely needs to be increased, and it will be. Uh, I just need to rewire my brain to do that. <laughs> well, I guess we both have plenty of time to sit around inside since uh, they're shutting everything down. So. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, depending on how that uh, all swings, but, uh, you know, again, I've got to be uh, the best uh, father and husband that I can to support Jamie and what she's doing so that she can, uh, you know, do her work because she's doing important work too right now. Well, Drew, I really appreciate the time you took to talk with me today. I just uh, You don't have to worry about uh, who I've had on the show. I think that you have, demonstrated, <laughs> you have demonstrated that you have the Invictus mind, that uh, you are a champion, that uh, you set forth goals because you make decisions and uh, you want to be accountable to the people around you. I think the more the people hear this kind of message, the more that they realize that uh, they too have their own power in their own hands. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely honored to be amongst uh, the uh, visionaries that you've had on the uh, podcast. It's uh, it's been awesome to see it grow and uh, see the quality that you're putting out there. So uh, it, it's definitely a quite a quite a nice little honor to uh, to be a part of that. Not a problem. All right, one last question, and forgive me, I don't ask this of everybody, but uh, I'm just going to ask you: Are you Invictus? <laughs> and my answer to that is yes, because I choose to be. Excellent. I want to thank Drew Holmes for taking the time to talk with me today. Once again, it is the people out there living life to the fullest and taking care of their families and their businesses who demonstrate the Invictus mind. Tune in next week for an amazing episode with a guest who will explain how to make a transition from a broken system we are now living under to one where each individual is accountable and responsible for the layout and functionality of society. I will be talking with Donnie Gebert, about exactly what is a direct republic and how it works. Until then, be safe, be healthy, peace. Peace.